We are reading through Paul's prayer that he has been praying for this church that he's never visited, or that came about because of one of his converts had shared with some of the people there in Colossa and the church was started. They've had a few struggles, and so he, Paul is now writing that church to address some of these things. He's praying for that the gospel that they have embraced would bear fruit in their lives of the saints and that they might be controlled by a full knowledge of God's will and that it would be manifested in spiritual wisdom and understanding in their lives to help them grow and to enable them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, seeking always to please him and to bear fruit in their lives and all the works, good works that can flow out of that, and that they would continue to grow in the full knowledge, experiential knowledge of God, displaying uh, power, which we're going to look at this morning, um, to the glory of God. And uh, it's a real, real good prayer. I was wondering, what do I pray for when I pray? You know, do I just pray for my comfort? Pray for my happiness, pray for my knees, had knee surgery, or my foot, which has been bothering me sometimes, or pray for some bills that I have, or Paul's prayer is very, at least here, very centered around the needs of that church and the people and their growth and their relationship with the Lord. And I pray for that too. There, there are people on my prayer list that I pray very earnestly for, uh, and that the, the Lord's will to be manifested in their lives is paramount to me, and I pray for that. Um, we're talking about people who are sick and who are struggling with, uh, we're praying not only for their physical healing, but more than that, we're praying for their, their salvation. And it's a very depressing thing in a way if you care for somebody, which I do care for people, uh, some more than others. I mean, it's just you have some favorite people you're really concerned about, family members and others, but there are people that you pray for and you care for them and you really want the Lord to work. And sometimes it seems like that he's not working but just remember that the decision to come to the Savior does not rest with you or me in the ultimate sense of the word. You say, well, yeah, anytime you cry out to the Lord, you can just come. He has to open your heart. He has to give you faith to believe. Until he does that, remember what Paul said, that the natural man does not grasp, understand, embrace, perceive the things of the Spirit of God. He cannot. There are, there are things that are outside the realm of his comprehension. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but some of you he made alive so that you could embrace Jesus Christ. So if you listen to my voice and you're playing around with this thought about Jesus, especially if, even if you're not sick, if you're well, that's really important. Ask the Lord to open your heart. Ask him to, to help you hear what he has to say and to receive his word um, because it's, it, nothing is more important than that. Let me do that now and open us in prayer and then we'll get into the word.
Lord, I think that uh, prayer for me is one of the most difficult things that, that I practice in the Christian life. Difficult if it's a serious prayer because nobody sees it. There are no brownie points to be had by praying. It is something that takes place in the privacy of your closet or bedroom. And in my case, in my bedroom, I pray in the morning. Um, and it's, it's not really appreciated by people. Like if you give somebody a check to help with the rent, or if you bake a cake or something, take it over, do something like that. People say, oh, thank you. And they, they show appreciation. But when you pray for people, which is far more effective, and other things, they don't show appreciation. They don't say thank you very often, unless you tell them. And it's true. I tell people I pray for them all the time, and uh, it is true. But still, it's it's a hard thing for me to discipline my mind, to slow down, and to intentionally focus on you and who you are and the issues at, at hand. This morning we're looking at this letter, uh, Paul, to the church at Colossa, and we're looking particularly at his phrase about glorious might and steadfastness and patience. Just some of the words that are in there that kind of give us a, a taste of Christian vocabulary and help us to sort of piece together uh, these verses and work them into an understandable request a prayer request and so i pray as we're looking at these things that your word will bear fruit in our lives but first of all i pray it will bear fruit in my life i don't want to be a hypocrite i don't want to preach something to these people that i don't practice in private and i pray also for our lives that you'll help us to be listening to you and that your word would, would go forth today i understand that this broadcast or this message or whatever uh, is sometimes people pick it up even on other parts of the globe through the internet. And so I just pray wherever people are gathered, whether it be in public, whether it be in private, whether they be in bed, whether they be driving, I don't know if they're going to be driving watching this, but whatever the situation is and however they are attuned, that your word would minister and that in spite of the great limitations of the speaker, Jesus Christ would be exalted and magnified and lifted up and seen and that his word would be taken by your spirit and would apply both in our lives and hearts and in the lives and hearts of others that are listening. So we ask that you would be honored this morning and glorified as we focus now on your word to that little band of believers there at the church in Colossa in, written in the New Testament. We pray your blessing upon this time and we ask it in our Savior's name, thanksgiving, amen. Well, Paul says here in the text um, that he wants us to be strengthened with all might. We talked about that. That's an in inherent sort of dunamis. According to his glorious might. So that strengthening that, that is being manifested is an inherent power is to be according interestingly sort of laid out in cooperation with his glorious might marginal reading in my bible says that that 
probably would be better translated the might of his glory. It would be proportioned out according to the might of his glory. Uh, the word might is not the word dunamis, it's the word kratios that uh, has to do more directly with strength and power, almost like the word dunamis has inherent uh, uh, power, like authority that you have people, it's used to speak of people who are wealthy, who have power just because they're wealthy and they're influential, that kind of thing. But this word here that's translated might has to do with actual physical ability it would be like somebody who's a weightlifter. I have people go through my line a lot of times at work and some of the men are very obviously weightlifters I ask them where they lift weights or whatever and talk to them about that. So this is a word that's the two words work together but this is talking about the physical weight the physical strength if you will um, and it's closely related. The word study dictionary that I one of the dictionaries the word study dictionary I use says that it has to do with, and it's almost like dunamis in a way, it has to do with reputation, with praise, with honor, uh, splendor, light, perfection, rewards. It can be good or, or temporal or non-temporal, spiritual. Um, people have strength and, and might just for the things that they do. I received a link yesterday as I was studying for my son about uh, a, a guy that's world-renowned soccer player, Metsy, and just fun to watch him play. This guy has a lot of authority, a lot of power maybe I should say, just because of the fact that he does his his uh, sport so well. He is exceedingly, exceedingly good and very professional and uh, he's just really a pleasure to watch. I was watching him and I was wishing I could put it down into slow motion just to watch because he he can you know he can handle that ball which is hard for me to even do it with the hands like that he can handle it with his feet and he can knock it in and out of the legs of the opponents and run all over the place and just it's an amazing thing and it almost almost generates praise to God in a way for the way that somebody can gift be gifted and practice and perfect the gifts that God has given them to such an extent it, it glorifies God in that sense. And so here's this, this word that uh, this idea of this might there is, is used. And the translation talks about glory. The, the, the word said, dictionary talked about glory. It said that this glory of man is human opinion and is shifty, uncertain, often based on error. Uh, as I said, Messi has glory, but his is, is kind of earned because he's so good at it. But there's a lot of people who have glory. Uh, Hitler had glory in one sense, but it was not the kind of glory that is enviable. But um, this text goes on to say that, that um, it's a pursuit for his own safety is unworthy, but there is a glory of God, which is the way we use it in the New Testament. It must be absolutely true and changeless. God's opinion marks the true value of things as they appear to the eternal mind and God's favorable opinions is true glory. That's in the quote. But it is true. We talk about God's glory in the scriptures and uh, there is an influence there. And um, when you think about it, and I've not, not gone through a lot of, I mean, I've gone through a lot of references, but I didn't record them. 
but the word for glory is used talk about Christ appearing in glory uh, manifested in glory uh, sitting in glory standing in glory being revealed in glory and many many more I, I just not even stress the service hardly I was Matthew 25 31 when it talks about glory and being associated with Christ it says things like Matthew 25 31 but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne or the throne of his glory so here you have a picture of Christ coming and it's a picture of magnificence of a display of, of contrast with what everything else is and it's the the, the power the radiance and the honor and that future scene generates response to the listeners to the people it generates a response to us remember Jesus said something similar to that to the Pharisees to the scribes that he was the, the tribe people that were holding the Jewish leaders that were holding a trial holding him on trial and they were saying do you claim to be the son of God and he said you will see me coming in glory you will see that one day that is a, a fearful, fearful, fearful thing for those people to, to see that. Can you imagine the contrast that's going to be there? And yet here it is. And this, this promise of, of the glory, the, the coming glory of the Lord, is a, is a major challenge. It is to me. I was, I've talked to, talked to you about that a little bit. You know, as you get older, you realize that your temporal, your days are slowly winding down. And uh, closer and closer you're going to be to getting in that box on there, the coffin or whatever. And uh, uh, then you're going to be standing before the Lord. Then what? You want to be. You want your time to be ready, and you want your life to be ready, and you want your actions to be in cooperation with the, the presence of the Lord. So those are serious, serious contemplations that I have in my life, just because of age. And then there is the recognition of standing before the Lord because I, I stand up here and, and tell you what God says. That's a very serious responsibility. The Bible says that you should take that more serious than almost anything else. That's really serious. And uh, you, this is what God says. And that's what I'm saying God says. God's not going to like it if I'm putting words in his mouth. It's not going to be funny. And that there, there is, without question, a reckoning coming. That is going to happen. There's no question about it. But you're going to stand before him too. All of us, we, there is that time that we give an account for our lives and what we say and what we teach, not just from the pulpit, what you teach your children, what you teach your friends, your siblings, your work habits, your parents, others. There is that accountability that, that, that we're going to face. And it's, it's very important. And it's, it's something that's revealed in glory. Mark 8 is another verse. Uh, Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, shamed means to shy away from and kind of avoid, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now imagine what that's going to be like when he comes in that splendid picture of glory for his father and the angels that's going to be a serious time that's going to be a very very serious time Paul talked about the the Jews who were who had had their 
understanding of the gospel kind of veiled because they had turned their back so often on the Lord. He says, Second uh, Corinthians three fourteen, but their minds were hardened, which means that it become callous. The minds were hardened, the conscience hardened, until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the Old Testament, particularly the books of Moses, the old covenant, and the same veil remains because it is removed in Christ and they have rejected Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil is over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom but we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror, here it is, the glory of the Lord. The mirror is often used as a picture of God's word, where you look into God's word and it shows you yourself. And so we, with unveiled face, because we have come to Christ, beholding um, as in a mirror, the glory, the contrast, the beauty, the majesty, the splendor, the greatness of the Lord, and as we do that, notice what it says, we are being transformed into the same image from one glory to another glory. I, my, my favorite verse is Psalm 37, 4. It says, the light in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. What he's saying there is kind of what he's saying here. If you focus on the Lord, you pour your life into him and, and read and study and learn of him, he changes your heart. It's not that he gives you some desire you had back there, but he changes your desires in your heart and he gives you those desires that are commensurate with the, the change that's taking place in your, in your focus in your life. And so when we focus on the Lord and we look at his word, um, we see, we behold his glory, and as we behold his majesty and his glory, we are changed from one level of glory, one level of greatness, one level of, of splendor to another. And, it, and we don't, I don't know, necessarily think that that means that we want to walk around with sparks flying off of our shoes or some kind of halo on, on our head or maybe a, a cross on our lapel but rather that Christ can be seen in our lives. The Bible says that um, he became poor so that we might become rich. We were looking at that at uh, the ramble the other day, that verse. What kind of, does that mean that he divested his bank account, closed down his bank account and gave out his money so that all of us could have more money in our bank account? Is that what he means by our, he becoming poor and our become, becoming rich? No. The richness that he's talking about is spiritual wealth and peace and joy and, and a clear conscience and the reward of living for him and serving him and honoring him. And I want that. I have a battle in my You can pray for me because I, I struggle with, with worldly passions and worldly desires. And that, you know, you, you have, you make more, I make more money than I've ever made before. Well, made in a long time since I've been in the church. And so I have these extra funds. 
And so you, you can think of all kinds of things. Well, say, yeah, I'd like to go to Disneyland. So I really like to do this, buy this, get, get this. What you think of all these things you want to do, and you pray for these things, and you ask the Lord to help you do that. But you know that really the important issue is is that you want to please. At least I do. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Galatians six, seven, and eight, which is one of the verses I go through. I've, I've been through this verse over and over again. To be not to stop being deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap flesh. And that's true. That's not only true with finances, that's true in the area of romance. I have lady friends in my life, some of them that we have good relationships. And I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, I want my first allegiance to be with you. I pray that, but I'm not sure I, I really mean that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there's, there's a lot of things that you can be attracted to that you like. So you can pray. We should pray for each other in this in this whole scenario, not only for our romantic relationships and not only for our financial relationships, but also our health and our ability to get out and reach people. I, I touch base with people all the time at Lowe's, and I don't always talk about the Lord, but we do bring the subject up quite a bit. And uh, sometimes people respond really well, but other times uh, they don't respond real well. If I can give them a card or something, they, maybe they may have come in. But the Lord knows, you see. He knows these things, and he knows what's going on. So what I'm saying is that there's a day we're going to stand before the Lord, and we want to bring honor and glory to him and to, to glorify him. And that's part of the goal of being changed from one glory to another, becoming more like the Savior. Other verses there, and I'm, I know that I'm taking up quite a bit of time for this, but I think it's important. It says that in Hebrews that Christ is the radiance or the manifestation of his glory, that is God's glory, um, and he is exact. This is, these are just such staggering phrases. He is the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That is so, if you stop and look at that. Now, I was just listening the other day to Chuck Minster, and he was talking about the, the, the molecular structure of matter, uh, you know the matter is made up. You break it down to little bit item uh, atoms, and if you take an atom and you try to bring it up to size so we can comprehend it, you have a nucleus that's very basic as a hydrogen atom, one nucleus and one electron that runs around the nucleus. And I don't remember now exactly what the, the difference in there. The nucleus is a little pinpoint here, and the electron, if you bring it up to size where you can see it, would be like a million miles out. It's so staggeringly large. And basically what he said was that the atom itself is basically just nothing but just these two little things there. But there's so many of them and they're crammed so close together and they're bonded so close together that when you get that many, it makes a tangible physical property. And that's true with all of matter. All of matter is made up of these atoms like that. And what what uh, they, they, they're not sure exactly how they hold together. They know that there's an attraction of electron and neutron and they share electrons like that, but they're not sure how that makes them stick together and holds them together. This Bible, my Bible tells me it heals everything together by the word of his power. And when you think about him doing that and you think about how many atoms and molecules there are, not only just in this room, but in, in the universe, you realize that he's a big God. <laughs> if he's doing that and holding these things together, it's staggering. It's staggering. And when you think about the things that, he, and, and you see time, we're talking about time, it, that uh, he looks at time 
as, as we would read through a book, he can look at the beginning and the end, and, and he can be here and there at the same time and do all these things together. And he's just, it's amazing who he is and what he's going to do. And we, we can't really comprehend the greatness of him. And so this passage talks about the, the Savior being the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature that upholds all things by the word of his power. And it says, when he made purification for sin, who sinned? My sin. Your sin. When he made purification for my sins, he sat down, which means that the work is finished. Because he wouldn't sit down if it wasn't finished. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here's this God of glory, the one who is so majestic and great, and he is able to sit down after the work is done, the work that he did for me on my behalf. Peter, uh, one more verse, and then we'll get to the next part of the text because we're going to run out of time. Peter said, blessed be, this is Peter, 1 Peter 1, 3. Talking about being born again. He says, blessed be the Father, God, the Lord, the God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to obtain an inheritance. This is his work to obtain an inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and it will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. We are protected. How do you like that? By the power of God. We looked at the power of God the other day. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation or a deliverance that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, I'm reading this because I'm coming up to this point of the revelation of the glory of God, the, the future glory of God. Here is this salvation, this promise, this resurrection glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's, it's revealed, it's being held for us, but it's it's being held in trust for us to be revealed in the last time. And in this truth, which you don't necessarily see tangibly, but you understand it through scripture, in this truth, you greatly rejoice. Even though right now, in these moments, if for a little while it's necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, by suffering, so to say. So right now, you've got this great inheritance you got this stuff that's promised in the future and it's reserved for heaven it's got your name on it it's got your name at the place your your, your nameplate at the seat there where you're going to be seated it's already reserved in heaven for you and right now you're being protected by the power of god for that day and uh, this is being reserved for you in that day and uh, he says um if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that in the proof of your faith, the testing of your faith, the proving of the reality of your faith now, which is more precious than gold, <coughs> which is perishable, even though tested by fire, the proof of your faith, which at the test will be found out in that day to result in praise, and glory, and honor at the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So your salvation will be proven, it will prove itself, and it will be revealed at that time. This is something good to look forward to. We're talking about standing before the Lord one day and having our lives examined and revealed. That's a that's a that's a scary thought, but a wonderful thought. It's a good thought to have the, the Lord of glory 
come and extend his nail-pierced hand to you or to me and say, come in, come on, and, and identify you as one he loves and died for. And so here is what he says, even though you have not seen him yet, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, full of contrast, full of majesty. I like that idea of not seeing him yet. Peter had seen him. He, he, and he, wherever he went, the disciples would say, would sit down and gather, tell us about the Lord, tell us what it was like. Tell us how, what it was like to walk with him. Tell us how he responded. What you hear, and finally say, "Well, we've got to write these things out." So he marked out together. They worked, worked on the gospel and go out the gospel of Mark. I don't mean pull it out. It's not a good way to put it, but you know what I'm saying is that they they described, and that's what the gospels are. They're descriptions by the apostles and his followers of what the Lord, what it was like to walk with the Lord for four years, and uh, very very important. That's why I encourage people to read the gospels, to read it, to get to know it. Focus on the gospel because it's so important. It's such a powerful testimony. So he said, you rejoice with the joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the very deliverance of your souls. All right. That's a good thing. So that is, when he says here, um, strengthen with power according to his glorious might, it's just saying strengthen with the power of the strength that comes in his glory from his glory and from the testimony of standing before that, the testimony of realizing that we're going to be revealed in him, knowing that that's coming has a cleansing effect on your life and has a change, it produces a change in your life. Um, and, and you know, all the temptations that are in my life, all the temptations that are in your life, and they're real, I know they are, and they're big, and I battle them, and, I'm, and I, I know you do, but those temptations pale to insignificance with the greatness of the glory that is going to be revealed to us when we stand before him. So this is a great, this is a magnificent, magnificent thing. All right, one more section here then quickly. We've got two words we're going to deal with. There is, he says, attaining to all steadfastness and patience. You know those words, the word steadfastness, supramone is the word. Um, it is probably the best word to uh, talk about staying under the load. Um, one writer commentator says that the New Testament is a New Testament characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate person and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. So here he says, attaining all steadfastness, obtaining all perseverance, uh, obtaining in your faith, the determination to stay in there, to hang tight, and, and not to give up is very important. Uh, it's a word that's used if you remember the parable of the sower. And you have four kinds of soils that are the receiving of the four various gospel deliverances that are scattered on the seed. The last two, um, Luke 8, 14, it says, the seed which fell among thorns, these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way, are choked with worries and riches and pleasures in this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So here are those who respond, and then they hear that message and they begin to respond, they go on their way. But the pleasures of life, the worries of life, and other things enable that person who heard the message and wanted to respond to it to not bear fruit to maturity. You know, it starts out and kind of peters out. 
and it's not fruitful. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And that's our word here. This is the word to stay steadfast, to say under the load. Um, Paul says in Romans 5, that we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character hope. And you know that, and I'm, I know I'm moving kind of quick, but I need to slow down. But the Bible is clear that um, tribulation or what it, pressure like that produces perseverance. If you are knowledgeable, if you think about the salvation that we have, we know that God is working in our lives to make sure that his children will persevere to the end. That's one of the cardinal doctrines, the perseverance of the saints. We will, we will hold on. We will remain faithful. We may have times of disagreement, things that we make bad decisions or we fall into sin and stuff like that. But we will repent. We will come back and we will hold on to the end. And I've often thought, how is it that God can guarantee that I will hold on? And that's because he uses suffering. That's what this verse says. That's what James says over in the book of James. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God tests, God sends, God sends sufferings and trials and hardships in our life, among other things, to make us grow, to get our attention, and to produce endurance. He knows what he's doing. He never makes a mistake. Um, in the book of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. You need to hang in there and stay there, so that when you've done the will of God, you receive what is promised. And then he says at the end, after all the examples of Hebrews 11 and the heroes of faith, all of them, at the end of chapter 12, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about those Heroes of faith, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, those Noah, Abraham, all Sarah, all the rest of them, since we have this great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, giving us their testimony of how they live by faith, let us also, that word also means that we're not in a separate category from them. We're equal to them, they're equal to us. We may not be able to build an ark, but we can do things that God has called us to do. So it says, let us also, Lay aside every weight and sin, which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us hold on there. Let us stick by it. We, we need to endure. And so that's what he says in James. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, but let endurance have its perfect result. That's the first word that's used here in this text. The second word is the word microthoia which is a, similar to the patience. It means patience, endurance, consistency, steadfastness, and bearing troubles, but it's usually troubles and ills that are associated with people. And so, um, Paul writing about the, the potter having the right over the clay uh, to do what he wants to do with the clay, to make from one lump of clay, one vessel, and for honorable use, and another for common use, he says, what if God, although he's willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath that his people, <coughs> vessels of wrath that are prepared for destruction. He's talking about, when he says patience, he's talking about patience of people. 
It's the same kind of thing with, with uh, Noah, where you had patience. You got to have patience with the sin of people until you couldn't stand it anymore. It's, a, it's a, the same thing Peter talks about. We've looked at Peter. I'll give you one more verse. Christ also died for our sins once and for all, the just for the unjust. This is 1 Peter 3.18. Please forgive me for speeding up. I shouldn't do that. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Don't you like that? The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in, in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. That patience there, He's talking about his patience that God had with the sinners. So here's the two words together, and I can summarize it. Both of them have to do with enduring and staying, being steadfast. But the first one seems to relate more to enduring and being steadfast through circumstances and through events. The last one seems to talk about being long-suffering with people and difficult people. Sometimes people are more difficult than circumstances. And so it's, it's, you want to be patient with people as well. The Lord, just remember, the Lord is patient with you and with me. I, I mean, I, I know that I have tried his patience. I know I try his patience all the time, and I don't want to. I don't, I, but I do. And, and would you believe it? Sometimes when I do it, I realize it, and I, and I keep doing it. And I say, well, I, I, I'm just going to turn this off now. And, and so it's, it's a frustrating thing. So here it is. He's saying that uh, we could be strengthened with all power according to his glorious power of his glory to the attaining or building up of all steadfastness and patience in our lives. Now, I didn't mention this, but I will mention it to you that being faithful and steadfast and enduring to the end is very important to God. In fact, the text says that he's the one that generates endurance in our lives. It's very important. Important to remain faithful. It's important to hang in there and endure. It's easy to quit. It's easy to say, I'm going to bail out. God's not going to let you do it if you're his. He'll send suffering and trial in your life to bring about the necessary endurance and patience that's there that's needed. And uh, if you listen to my voice, um, it's much easier to just take the Bible and, and read the word and love the, and ask the Lord to open it to you and obey him rather than to have him come along and take you out behind the woodshed, which you can do. You can surely do that. I can promise you that. Um, there, are, there are, I won't, I'm not going to get into that, but there are, there are things that I've seen can work. I know it. We have it. Yeah. He can do it. I, I know he can do it. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your patience with me. And I thank you for your patience with us. And for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you have made such a great sacrifice on our behalf. And like you, I'm sure, did with the disciples and with us, there are many times in which you kind of shake your head, perhaps, and wonder, when are we going to grow up? When are we going to get serious? When are we going to put you at the top of the list of things rather than things? Uh, help us to love you with all of our heart. We cannot generate that love. I ask you to do that in my life. I ask you to do in our lives. Help us to put ourselves in an environment before your word, by your spirit, that we can learn and grow 
But you have to do the work. So I ask you to do it in our lives and to be glorified in us and through us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. I pray your blessing upon this week for Vacation Bible School. I ask that you really be working. Thank you for the people at CEF that are coming to help. We just pray for them as well. We pray in Jesus' name. We can't skip. Amen.